he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. Get me a gay, Mickey. Gotta get a gay. Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Details, a celebration of nuance where, you know, when it happens, it happens. I queen out on all of the acting choices, micro moments, and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great. My name is Colin Drucker. Your name is Barbara Belgettis. And it is so nice to be back in your ears again. My, how clean you've kept them. I, uh, you know, my my instinct is to start off with some excuse of why it's been a while since the last In the Details episode or why this isn't another uh, edition of Cherishing Valerie. But, you know, that doesn't really make for compelling listening. And you might not even be really worrying about that. You might just be happy to see a new episode in your podcast feed. Um, but I, you know, I every time lately I've, I've started a new episode of In the Details, I'm like, oh, why am I not doing this more often? For what it's worth... Uh, if you are just an In the Details listener, uh, which I feel like you probably, if you know this podcast, you know my other podcasts, I am currently putting out five episodes a week across my two other podcasts, across All Right, Mary and Best Supporting Podcasts. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to give myself a little bit of grace that that's, you know, that's pretty good. But that does not mean In the Details is going anywhere. Uh, I think the reality is it's going to be a one to two times a month kind of podcast. And um I think that's fine. I think that's fair. And so this week, I, you know, I, I am still working on the next next chapter of Cherishing Valerie and realizing that I think I'd said there was going to be like one or two more episodes. There's at least like three more episodes of that. Sneak preview, the next episode of Cherishing Valerie, which of course, if you don't know, is my um, deep, deep dive into the comeback, uh, is going to be all about the parking lot fight between Mark and Valerie outside the restaurant in season two. So... Uh, that really deserved really its own episode. So uh, look forward to that. But in the meantime, I guess we are still staying in the world of HBO. There were three HBO shows that uh, crossed my path in the last few months. And instead of doing a deep dive into you know one or one scene from one, I thought maybe today we could do a bit more of a, a, a sampler platter of some reasons why I love these shows, some moments to just, you know, kind of highlight of, of what I'm loving about these shows and not too many spoilers except for one of these shows I'm definitely going to spoil but uh, it is what it is so today I want to just you know uh, tip tap around the flight attendant the undoing and enlightened uh, enlightened of course came out like I don't know 2012 like I'm, I'm way late to the game on enlightened but the undoing and the flight attendant are obviously a bit more current Maybe just past current. I think at, at this point, um, you know, the only thing I think I'm really going to spoil is the undoing, but I feel like the undoing has been spoiled. I feel like it's a safe space and a safe time to spoil the undoing. So know that going in, that one of the things I'm going to be talking about in the undoing is the last few minutes of the last episode. So, um, but you know, the thing about the undoing, and let's just get into it. Let's talk about the undoing. I, let's take a drink every time I've said the undoing. The Undoing, I actually think, works better if you know 
the ending. So if you don't know the story, it's all about, it's a, you know, a, a murder mystery. There's this very rich couple, Grace and Jonathan on the Upper East Side, played by Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, who are the first two people I think of when I think of New Yorkers. Uh, and they, uh, their son goes to this, this private school, and the mother of one of their son's classmates, uh, this woman named Elena, who, uh, whose son also happened to be a patient of Jonathan's. Jonathan is a, a, um, I guess a, a children's cancer doctor. I, you know, it was just like, oh my goodness. So, you know, uh, really kind of setting up like, how could this man be a murderer? He saves children's lives. But of course, he becomes the prime suspect, and it starts to come out that she... Um, that he had had an affair with her. We come to find out that the baby that we see her breastfeeding in the first episode is in fact his baby. And uh, and it just kind of unravels from there. And so Jonathan is the prime suspect the entire series to the point where it's like, okay, well, it's not going to end up being Jonathan, you know? Like, we're not going to just... They're, they're going to flip the script at some point. But, you know, spoilers, guess what? It's Jonathan. And, uh, and I, you know, I think that not knowing that and getting to that conclusion in the last episode, I feel like that must have been very frustrating. It's like, in some ways, it's kind of like how I feel about watching a horror movie where everybody dies. It's like, well, then why did I watch this? Like, what was the point of this? You know? Uh, And I think with The Undoing, it was less about who done it and more about, I think it was more about Grace kind of seeing it. And, you know, and that makes sense, like, throughout the whole show, the series, it's a six-episode miniseries, they're, the eye acting that Nicole Kidman is doing, the close-ups on her eyes, the bulging that she is doing, I'll give it to her. There's some moments where I am like, yeah, right, Nicole, you are, like, you're definitely acting. Yes, I can hear your Australian accent, but I can always hear your Australian accent. So it's just one of your cute little quirks, Nick. But... Uh, she really does have some some great face acting and some great moments. Nicole Kidman is, um, I always kind of like moments of hers more than I like the entire performance. You know, like I love the train station scene in the hours. I love the, the opera face journey in birth. You know, and I love, here's the big spoiler. I've really spoiled everything at this point. I love... The very, okay, the very end of The Undoing. Oh, my God. The more I think about this, the more it's like, this this scene is so bonkers and so unrealistic that I am, at first, okay, so at the end of The Undoing, obviously, it, it, it comes out that, yes, he that Jonathan is indeed the murderer. And so he uh, he flees with their son Henry and you know I guess to have one last it's really it's hard to tell whether he's gonna you know um, kill them both or whether he's just kind of gone mad and is just trying to get his you know one last I don't know uh, camping trip with his son like Jonathan goes from like nuts to mixed nuts by the end of this episode and I'll say this as well that Hugh Grant is I don't think I've ever seen him this delusional um, and this kind of wackadoo, and I did appreciate that. But at the very end of The Undoing, it all ends on this bridge, uh, you know, somewhere, you know, venturing into upstate New York. And 
Jonathan has uh, stopped the car, stopped the Land Rover, whatever rich vehicle they're driving, and he's going to jump off the bridge. And Henry, Henry, played by Noah Jupe, we're going to assume that that's correct, who's also um, not my first thought when I think of a New Yorker because he's also British, uh, but is very good in this. You know, he's screaming, you know, Dad, oh, get down, don't jump, Dad. And meanwhile, meanwhile, Nicole... And her father, Franklin, played by Donald Sutherland, Nicole and Donald are in a helicopter following along this police chase. Like, why are they a part of this? Why are they not at Franklin's, you know, Fifth Avenue penthouse waiting for updates? I don't know. Because if they weren't, then this wouldn't happen. Then we wouldn't get this scene. So they are in the helicopter following along. They eventually get to the bridge. The helicopter touches down on the bridge. Grace dives out of the helicopter and starts running towards Jonathan and Henry. There are cops on the bridge. Like, there's a whole barricade happening, but nobody successfully stops Grace or really even seems to try to stop Grace as she's running towards this this scene, as she's certainly being a catalyst to a potential suicide here. But uh, it's so fabulous. It is, it's like Nicole was just having a fire sale of just like whatever she had in the tank she was just like emptying it on this bridge running and screaming jonathan which of course i'm gonna play here and and to know that there's a like there's flashbacks it all kind of goes into slow-mo you can kind of hear it i mean to see it is to is to believe it but i am i am just obsessed with how nicole navigates the name jonathan in this section and henry for that matter For your peace of mind, she manages to get Henry and stop Jonathan from jumping. And then the police run in and they grab Jonathan and she, you know, takes Henry away and they get back in the helicopter with Donald Sutherland and they fly away. And that's the end of the undoing. And um, it, it it's like it's such a bonkers ending. It's so over the top. And I just watched it again and I just like couldn't stop laughing at it. Just not because it's like. It is campy. I think maybe in like 10 years we're going to look back on this. I hope, fingers crossed, and be like, oh, my God, the camp of the of the finale of The Undoing. Um, and I think that's a good thing because I think otherwise this would become a little bit um, lost in the sauce over time. I, I feel like it's, it's not a terribly memorable miniseries otherwise, maybe. It is worth noting, I mean, in terms of other reasons to watch this, um, Donald Sutherland, who did win a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor, he is actually, uh, he, you know, it's Donald Sutherland. You know, you kind of you kind of know what you're going to get. It's like, oh, there's that voice. I know that sound. But he does have a couple good crying moments, and he does, um, 
he does have some some gravitas, if you will. Uh, I I like Donald Sutherland. I appreciate him, but it's certainly like it's like a Michael Caine or a Morgan Freeman, where you really just have to kind of like turn them onto autopilot, and you'll, you you know, and you'll, it'll be fine. You know, they don't really need to do too much. Uh, I also, I you know, it's just worth mentioning that uh, the main detective on the case, played by Edgar Ramirez, is. He doesn't play like the nicest guy on the show, but uh, you know, and maybe maybe this is some hints of masochism in my own life. But I was like fine with it. He is. I was like, yeah, I this I have very strong feelings about Doctor, not Doctor Detective. Doctor's fine too if he wants. Uh, Joe Mendoza in The Undoing. Very strong feelings. A very strong reason to watch the show um, is Edgar Ramirez, but also. Uh, Oh, oh, also, oh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Noma Dumasweni, who plays the attorney, Haley. Oh, she is certainly, like, the best supporting actress, I think, of this series. And she has this moment at the end. At this point, obviously, as I've said a thousand times, I've, I've, I've well and well spoiled The Undoing. But uh, this would also be a spoilerly moment of, like, after they lose the case— there's this intense, you know, whispered conversation between Haley and Jonathan. And, oh, let's let's just play it here. I mean, it's so much in her face and in her eyes, but I love the, like, Shakespearean heights that she reaches in this moment. Well, move from this trial. You won't. You tried that just now, and he shut you down. It's over. She fucked us. Jonathan. You let it out. I let it happen. Jonathan, she was with you. She was in your camp, and you lost her. Because you didn't get rid of the fucking hammer. You hear that? She didn't get rid of the fucking hammer. How stupid can you get? And finally, you know, the other reason to watch The Undoing, and it's more as some of its parts, is... Lily Rabe as uh, Grace's friend, Sylvia, who is really just the supportive friend. Like, she doesn't have a a significant function in the plot. It doesn't turn out that she had some part in anything, really. In the second episode, it comes up that Jonathan had come to her for some legal advice because she was a lawyer. But that, you know, that's not the most... That doesn't change too much. That, That doesn't have the biggest impact. So for the most part, she's really just the supportive friend. So much great phone acting. So, like, moments where you're like, oh, wow, we're, like, sitting here seeing Sylvia feel things. And she's not directly affected by this. Like, I love that. And a great example of this is this uh, scene, I think, in episode four when Franklin comes to the school to pick up Henry and he runs into Sylvia in the courtyard. And, you know, they just... It's almost like an... It's a completely unnecessary scene. It's completely unnecessary plot-wise. But I love that it's this little moment between these supporting actors um, and these supporting characters. Like, I love that there's a moment of that. And I think this is a great example of Sylvia is just... You know, we've seen scenes like this in so many different TV movies and thrillers of just, like, the supportive friend. Oh, is she okay? If she ever needs anything, let me know. Like, and it's just, you know, it's just a moment. But I feel like Lily Rabe is, like, giving it so much more nuance than necessary. And and I love it. I just, I love, I love that she's elevating this role. And I love the supportive friend role in anything. But I love the, you know, the effort that she's putting into it. Franklin? Hi, dear. Hi. Oh, 
Can you say hello? Hi. Hello. How are you? You run off. Tell them I'm sorry. Tell Miss Hatsy it's my fault. I've told Grace a thousand times, but if there is anything I can do. Oh, dear, dear girl, and she knows it, so do I. How is she? She's always so stoic. How is she really? Really? I don't know. I don't know whether I ever knew. Ah, she's just Grace being Grace. Anyway, I think the undoing is it's worth like a, you know, a rainy weekend on the couch binge, you know, like it's uh, it's worth that much, you know. And I and again, it is actually better that, you know, the ending so that you don't go into it thinking, oh, they're going to goop me by the end because they're not going to goop you. It's it's going to be Jonathan or, you know, as Nicole puts it, Jonathan! Uh, let's switch gears. Let's talk about the flight attendant. God, I went from knowing nothing about this show to just falling in love with this show. I mean, uh, so the flight attendant is about a flight attendant named Cassie, played by Kelly Cuoco, who I was really only familiar with, of course, from The Big Bang Theory. Not a show that I watch, not a show that I'll ever watch. And, you know, I kind of was like, well, Kelly, you're, you're guilty by association. Uh, and so, you know, maybe I started to write it off right away, you know. But anyway, Callie Cuoco plays this flight attendant, Cassie, who uh, is certainly has a drinking problem, and uh, that ends up getting her into some trouble, of course, because she, uh, at a stop in Thailand, she meets this passenger on the flight, and she ends up having this drunken night out with him, and then she wakes up in bed next to him uh, the next morning, and he's dead. And she has no memory of what happened, uh, and then kind of proceeds to make all the wrong decisions, you know, from there. And... Uh, And it all just starts to unravel. And so I'm not going to spoil The Flight Attendant because if you haven't seen it, this is a show that benefits from not knowing what's going to happen. And I feel like if you have seen it, then you don't need me to tell you what happens. But if you haven't, like, let this be. Let me give you reasons to watch The Flight Attendant if you, like me, were like, oh, what's Kelly Cuoco got, you know, got that I want, you know? Well, you know, I'll say this. You know, we just kind of went through the Emmys and the, um, no, no, not the Emmys. We didn't go through the Emmys. Went through the Golden Globes and the SAGs and, you know, the award season is happening. And so, of course, in the category of, like, best actress in a TV comedy, Catherine O'Hara, you know, in Schitt's Creek was kind of, like, the one to beat. And, you know, my feelings. I love Schitt's Creek. I think Catherine O'Hara is doing just iconic work on that show. I do think it's worth mentioning that, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and anytime you ask, I'm going to give the same answer, that as the show kind of takes its place on the mantle now that it's over and we kind of get to the point of looking back on it, I do believe that Alexis Rose uh, and Annie Murphy's performance as Alexis Rose will emerge as truly the cherry on that Sunday, as truly like just the the absolute cream of that crop. But what Catherine O'Hara is doing on that show, I'm happy to see her getting so many awards. But that often stacked her against Kelly Cuoco in The Flight Attendant, who months prior, I might have been like, Peh. I think even on Best Supporting Podcast, I, I basically said Peh, about that. Uh, like, oh, you know, what's she doing? You know, that that's comparable. Well, you know, I'm, I'm eating those words for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because holy shit, Kelly Cuoco, like I was rooting for her. We were all rooting for you, but I was rooting for her you know, when it came to awards time. Like, yes, wanted to see Catherine win, but it was like, oh, but I wouldn't be disappointed if Kelly Cuoco won because she 
really gives a great performance in The Flight Attendant, so much more than I was expecting. Just, like, so much more. She is actressing to a 27. She's giving panic attacks and monologues and and talking through tears and fabulous phone acting with T.R. Knight. Oh, my goodness, who's great as her gay brother. Um, Listen, I'm going to call out that he's gay because, you know, I like the representation. And I think what's great about The Flight Attendant is that you— you don't have to wait till like episode six to get all this acting. Like the pilot episode, which feels like a pun for a show called The Flight Attendant, um, but the pilot episode really is such a dis- like a, a great display of Kelly Cuoco. You know, giving giving us range, um, spreading her wings, giving a first class performance. All right, I've got it all out of my system. There's a great sequence in the first episode. It's the next night. They've left Bangkok, and now they've flown to Seoul, South Korea, and uh, they're staying in one of those airport hotels overnight. And we're sort of seeing the reality of the night before sinking in for Cassie, and she, of course, is getting drunk on, you know, little airline bottles of vodka in her room and uh, and crying. And, like, it just she's, – she's going through that, like, can I – can the alcohol catch up with my emotions and beat them in the race, you know? And eventually she needs to get ice, and so she's got her ice bucket, and she's, and she looks like shit. Like, she's wearing, like, sweatpants and a t-shirt and a robe, and, you know, she's got, like, you know, red-rimmed eyes. Like, she's, she's in that sort of, like, that Eeyore slacky kind of drunken state, and she's, she's padding through the hallway of the hotel, and she runs into the pilot, Nate, who I guess, she, you know, she's hooked up with a few times before, you know, uh, well drunk. And so he's coming out of the gym and she runs into him in the hallway and uh, basically kind of, even though she's not in the mood, uh, this, this would be a perfect distraction from everything that she's thinking and feeling right now. And so they go back to his room and, you know, he asks, hey, can I, you know, do you mind if I take a few minutes and just kind of tidy up the room? And so she waits in the hallway and there's this like, picture of a of a praying mantis it's like a black and white drawing of like a praying mantis next to his door and she's looking at it and she starts talking to herself um and just kind of coming to the realization of like oh my gosh like you you saw a dead man in bed with you like this is real this is really happening and then the praying mantis like turns and looks at her like it's a she there's a lot of kind of her seeing things that aren't real uh, throughout the show, but the, it turns and looks at her and she freaks out. And then Nate opens the the hotel room door. And like, I think this little sequence is a great, it's, it's just, it's such a great performance of losing your shit. Oh, and the thing to mention is that at one point towards the end, and you'll hear it, she kicks the ice bucket. And it feels like one of those things that like, wasn't in the script, like that she just did it. And it, it works perfectly. There's some man you slept with bleeding from the throat. You're dead today. Very, very dead. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. My God, everyone keeps asking me that. It's like hysterical. Am I okay? I'm yes, I'm fine. I just dropped my, I just dropped my ice. But you know, I think I should probably like, I should probably chill for tonight. So I'm gonna. That thing just looked at me, and you still want to hook up? I. I, 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 I I'm just gonna... 
And then, and I won't play it because it's more like visual than than audio. But the the next sequence of her going back to her room and like fighting off the panic attack and and drinking more, and then having you know these flashbacks to her childhood that obviously start to you know make more sense as the show goes on and, and give more context to Cassie. Uh, and then she you know gives herself this this deep deep in the drink pep talk in the mirror. It's it's a great. It's like a great five minute in total, you know, from when she runs into Nate to the end here uh, in the hotel room of just Kelly Cuoco. Just it's just her acting. And it's so good. And I think, again, that we get so much of that in the first episode, like 30 minutes into the first episode, you're getting actressing. It's very rewarding. And it and it doesn't stop there. She really there's some there's a great scene of her later uh Without spoiling things, she's uh, she goes to jail for you know for a night, and she has one phone call, and she has this great talking through tears phone call that is just uh, worth seeing. I think if I played it here, it wouldn't have as much impact. Uh, but the other, you know, so many other reasons to watch the flight attendant. I was also delighted to see Rosie Perez, who plays a fellow flight attendant, Megan, who has her own narrative in in the show as well. I've seen her in a lot of funny roles. I've seen her in some dramatic things, but I I always like seeing actors who I'm used to seeing in comedic roles have dramatic moments. Like I think that that's just always a little more like layered, I guess. And so there is this great moment just to give Rosie uh, a little uh, a little moment. Uh, there is this great scene in episode three. They're all in Rome and uh, you know, the context you need to know is the FBI has started investigating this guy's death. And um, Megan gets herself very drunk at a bar and she runs into Cassie there. Cassie is there talking up the waiter at the bar who is also a when in Rome uh, companion. It's this just lovely little conversation that's it's very small. I feel like Rosie Perez plays these like there's there's at one point where, you know, she, she gets like a little choked up and uh, a little bit goes a long way. So here's here's some Megan in episode three for you. Cassie, Cassie. You said that you were staying in tonight, you big fat liar. Uh, hi. Hi. Who's your friend? Best friend, Megan Briscoe. And this is my second glass of wine. Actually, it's my third. That is quite a large glass. Mm-hmm. Pleasure to meet you, Megan. Yes, thank you. It's. Oh, okay. Oh, this. Uh, I'm interrupting. No, it's fine. It's kind of good because I wanted to talk to you anyway. Cassie, Cassie, I I know you would be surprised to hear this, but I don't have a lot of friends. Oh, I'm I'm surprised to hear you say that. Yeah, so, um, I don't want you to be mad at me over this FBI thing, you know? Yeah, you know, that, uh, that wasn't great. And I'm so sorry. It won't happen again, I promise you. And the calls... I know I call a lot. It's okay. No, it's not. I just, I want you to know that I'm here for you, you know? You're so glamorous. And I'm just... Just want more than always to be, you know? Okay, first of all, I am not glamorous, okay? Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's just... I've been keeping so many secrets, it's good to talk to somebody about other things, you know? What do you mean, secrets? You are so bellissima. 
And finally, I want to highlight her best friend, Annie, played by Zoja Mamet, who, of course, ends up getting involved as well. Like, I like, unlike Sylvia in The Undoing, like, Annie is involved. Like, she's got her hands dirty by the end of the, se- by the, end of the show. Um, well, not the end of the show, just the end of the season, because there's going to be a season two, which is interesting. But she is, you know, I didn't watch Girls, and so I'm not wildly familiar with her uh, as much as I would be if I watched Girls. But she, I think the the energy that she plays in this, like, I, I think there's such an interesting, like, realistic examination of a female friendship between Annie and Cassie that I wouldn't expect when there's so much plot, you know? Like, I think as, as the as the season goes on, we really kind of see a very realistic narrative about their friendship. But to highlight some of her great performance, there's a a fabulous scene in, I believe it is the second episode when Cassie comes to, so Annie is a lawyer and uh, another lawyer friend. And so Cassie has come to Annie and kind of spills the beans of everything that happened in Thailand. And I love that there's this sort of deadpan quality about Annie, but then she kind of layers in the emotional support. Like it's very, it's a very clever performance, very well directed. You know, it all just kind of works. Uh, and of course, here we also get to see more of Kelly Cuoco just expertly performing a panic attack. Uh, and I, I appreciate, you know, a mention of Topo Chico, which I also uh, really enjoy. So I like to see that that representation <laughs> in the flight attendant. So here's a little bit of Annie and Cassie. I'm sorry, I just, you know, asked if you're okay and you just um, experienced severe trauma, so of course, of course you're not okay. No, I'm mostly, I'm mostly, like, right now, I'm, I'm pretty good. Okay, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and Cass, I have, I have to ask you this, mm-hmm. um, why the fuck did you clean everything up? I don't know. Uh, I was talking to you on the phone, and Amanda Knox just came into my head. And... I'm sorry, that fucked up phone call was from the crime scene? I know. I'm... Oh, God. I can't... Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. It's okay. Oh, my God. Okay. Cass, you're okay. You're okay. Oh, my God. Take a deep breath, no. and then you're okay. No, I'm... no you're not having a panic attack. I'm having a panic attack. Jessica! Who are you? Who is that? You telling your assistant that's Jennifer? How would you know that? Yep. Jessica, grab Cassie a Topo Chico from the back of the fridge. Jennifer, wait, Topo Chico? A Topo Chico? You have those on hand for me? I love you. Um, they're for me, because why would they be for you? Because, you know, you've never been here. Are you okay now? Should I cancel your drink order? And there's a lot of other reasons to watch The Flight Attendant, but I think these are enough. I think it's at least just worth mentioning that Michelle Gomez as Miranda, oh, does she become just the queen of this whole season? Oh, I love Miranda. So uh, it's just, yeah, it's just a a great show. It just zips on by. I can't believe it's taken me this long to mention this, but also the main theme, the music— from the flight attendant like the title sequence music the title sequence in general is incredible but the music oh my god it's so good it is so some shows it's like the music plays and you're like oh really did music play you know like the undoing i don't remember the music i know there was some but i don't remember it this oh you know there are there are opening titles of you know when you're especially when you're binging something that i'll skip because it's like okay i've heard it I would never skip the flight attendant opening theme. And you know what? It it's it is in no way the same without the incredible visuals. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the opening theme of the flight attendant. Like tell me 
Tell me you're not tapping your capizios to this. It's so good. Before we wrap things up, I'm not going to do a deep dive into it. I just really want to mention Enlightened. I just want to mention that I've seen it and that I think uh, I'm going to spend more time on it in the next episode. There's a scene in particular that is due its own episode. Uh, I want to say first and foremost, if they're listening, um, two listeners, Alex and Chantal, who don't know each other, who but at the same, sort of the same time, within like three days of each other, had messaged me. Uh, recommending Enlightened. Alex had kind of recommended the show in general as sort of a spiritual sister to the comeback. And Chantal had recommended the specific scene in episode nine in a supermarket. And I thought, well, the universe has never been more obvious and never been louder that I need to watch this show. And it, it it truly is. I mean, I think in the context of like queening out about the comeback on this podcast, I, I feel like it's nuts that Enlightened is only coming into the conversation now because Valerie Cherish and Amy Jellico are, they do exist in the same world. You know, it's, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, sitcoms would have crossovers or maybe when, you know, the Jetsons would visit the Flintstones. Like there is there is a world where Amy and Valerie cross paths. And so enlightens about this woman, Amy Jellico, who basically has this total nervous breakdown, goes to some rehab facility in Hawaii and comes back enlightened. She's, you know, she's meditating, she's doing yoga, she's positive thinking, she's doing her gratitude journal, she's reading Abraham Hicks on the bus. She's doing so much of what I did during a similar period of my life in 2015. And that's one of the things I, I really appreciated about Enlightened the most was that, oh, not only do I recognize Amy Jellico, but uh, I was at one point kind of Amy Jellico. You know, I didn't have quite the same meltdown, but, you know, and I won't go deep, deep into it, but in like 2015, it was like things kind of just like fell apart. My job was burning me out. I was in a relationship that was going completely off the rails. Like I was smoking like a chimney. I, you know, it was just everything was kind of falling apart. And I ended up going to Peru for a two week ayahuasca retreat in the middle of the Amazon jungle. And, uh, you know, and it was a great experience. I don't want to play it down. Like, I don't want to act like now, years later, I see it as this like ridiculous thing. Um, I, I know that, you know, I feel like since then, this narrative of the like, you know, the white guy going down to South America to deal with his first world issues by, you know, using some, you know, quote unquote, ancient Amazonian cure is a bit cliche or cringy or eye rolly. But at the time it didn't, I, I feel like, you know, I got in before it got trendy. I don't know. It did, I didn't feel like I was riding the wave of a trend. I feel like it was something I sort of found on my own, but maybe everyone feels that way. 
But the point is, the point of all that being that, you know, I, I came back, you know, and it was like all of the balance and all of the, you know, enlightenment and all of the like healing that I had found in the jungle, it was like, I could sustain it in the middle of the jungle. But the moment I came back to New York, I could feel it slipping through my fingertips. And it, it was just like a, um, it was like its own kind of breakdown, its own kind of meltdown. Like I ended up leaving that job, leaving New York, like taking a whole different path and, uh, and, and moving to California. I mean, I was, you know, became a health coach. I was vegan. I was doing, doing yoga. I, I really, um, I really deeply identify with Amy. I would like to believe though, that I wasn't as unself-aware as she was. Uh, and I think that's what I find also so fascinating about enlightened is that, much like the comeback, Amy comes back with this idea of, you know, you know, the solution in a way, an idea of like, here's what life should be. And I'm going to come back to this company and I'm going to, you know, uh, if she can't get her old job back, she's going to start this new job where we're going to have community outreach and we're going to, you know, we're going to show that we care. And, and it's so, it's a lovely notion and it's a lovely point of view, but it doesn't necessarily blend in with the reality. And that's so much of what we see happen with Amy uh, and, and the show evolves. There's a whole sort of plot that she gets involved in, but uh, which I won't go into here, but I just wanted to kind of highlight uh, just particularly how incredible Laura Dern is in this role. I think she won an Emmy uh, at one point, very deservedly so for this. Like she's, I think it's the best thing I've ever seen Laura Dern do. I uh, I love that there's two seasons and there doesn't need to be a third one. So it's kind of perfect in that little like, you know, uh, that little way that doesn't feel cut off by the end. It also doesn't feel like it got dragged out. But uh, I love that throughout the two seasons, you know, we it's not like a linear path for Amy's, you know, growth or her for re, her re-enlightenment, you know. Uh, I think there's elements of what we see in the comeback where she, you know, she kind of does get the pie in the face where there is that moment of, you know, uh, being at the baby shower and suddenly making it all about her and, and um you know, losing in a way and, and not reading the room. But I also love that then there's moments of her figuring it out and realizing where she's misstepped and trying to fix that and trying to um, see things clearly. And, and you, start, you start rooting for her, you know, sort of despite everything that she's doing and um, rooting for her and cringing at her at the same time. And it's it's just incredible. And so the... Where I'm going to focus in uh, next next episode is going to be this specific scene that Chantal had pointed out. Um, it's a scene in a supermarket in episode nine of the first season, which is really more about Diane Ladd's character, more about Amy's mother. And it's just this, ex- like, it, it's just Diane Ladd in a supermarket running into Barbara Barry and having a very sort of, like, coded conversation with you know lots of there's so many implications there's so much of what's not being said and it's just these two actresses just being fabulous in a supermarket i could watch this all day there's also i'll probably talk about it in that episode but there is a scene in the second season between amy and helen played by diane ladd that uh amy is having a panic attack and there's this scene in the bedroom of them together and it's it's a you know, it's a fraught relationship the entire series. Like, we really see how Helen and Amy struggle to connect with each other. And it's just so brilliant how they managed to show in this scene Helen 
finally like almost giving in in a way and it's just it's a great moment of of seeing them finally find a connection and seeing them finally find some common ground so uh so look forward to that in the next episode i uh i just needed to i just needed to just give uh, you know an epilogue of love on this episode to enlightened because it really especially now that it's kind of like it's been a few weeks since I've watched the whole thing and I've kind of let it congeal in my mind. I, I just think about Amy. I just, I think about her like she's a real person that I met. I think about her the way I think about Valerie, where it's just like, there's so much more of an inner life there that I'm interested in. And I, I love that it's Laura Dern in the same way that I love that it's Lisa Kudrow being Valerie. Like it's just, I could watch the two of them act all day. So um, so just, yeah, that's all I have to say about Enlightened for now. And I think that's all I have to say in general for now. But I would love to hear what you have to say. And the best way to do that is to drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Colin Drucker. Or you could even get in touch with me on Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And uh, in the meantime, I will be back, uh, you know, within due time to spend uh, more time queening out with you potentially about some more supermarket acting as mentioned previously some more cherishing Valerie Uh, who knows who knows what it'll be but we'll find out together in the meantime in the wise words of the great Brenda Vaccaro I think I'll be going if you'll excuse me see ya I said I'm staying, I'm staying.